The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. The U.S. is trying to find the right line to walk in response to the deadly drone attack in Jordan. Ed Baxter has the story and more from San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, that's right, Brian. At the same time, it is saying Iran is behind the the attacks for sure. Now, NSC official John Kirby says the U.S. response will be at the right time on its timeline. We'll do that on our schedule, in our time. And we'll do it in a manner of the president's choosing as commander-in-chief. We'll also do it fully cognizant of the fact that these groups, backed by Tehran, have just taken the lives of American troops. Now, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is a bit stronger in his response. President and I will not tolerate attack on U.S. forces, and we will take all necessary actions to defend the U.S. and our troops. So what are the options? Well, Bloomberg's Jennifer Welsh. Everything in terms of military tactics from a more surgical strike, cyber attacks, to more traditional option. And then in terms of targets, there's the more escalatory option of actually striking Iranian targets in Iran to striking Iranian forces outside of the country to Iranian proxies and the infrastructure that supports them. So the U.S. preliminary findings on how the defense systems could have missed the incoming drone Well, they say that it apparently flew directly behind a U.S. drone that was landing at the base, confusing the human and the digital defenders. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Paris to try to get a hostage return deal says the meetings were constructive, but that significant gaps remain. His office says those differences will be discussed at additional meetings this week. Meanwhile, Israel is saying that as many as as much as 10, 10% of the U.N. relief agency's 12,000 workers in Gaza, this U.N., were members of Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Senate negotiators continue to work on a border deal. House Republican Greg Murphy on Bloomberg's Balance of Power says the answer really is pretty clear. We have to go back to the the stay in Mexico policy. I mean, I think that was the stalwart of where all this began. We had Central American countries that had bought into this, that uh, they folks to seek asylum in the country of entry rather than transgressing across, across all of Central America. Says the president has executive powers that he could use to get it done. E. Jean Carroll says that she is uh, wanting to donate the award money that she won in her civil suit against Donald Trump. Donate it. On ABC with George Stephanopoulos, she says that she does have a vague plan to now. I'd like to give the money to something Donald Trump hates. If it will cause him pain for me to give money to a certain 
to certain things, that's like. my intent. Well, perhaps a fund for the women who have been sexually assaulted by Donald Trump. Trump's attorneys are, of course, appealing that award. Meanwhile, Trump is facing a, the pair of major legal verdicts that could wipe out most, if not all, the cash that he says he has on hand. Global News, 24 hours a day and whenever you want it. With Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter. This is Bloomberg. Brian. And thanks very much. Six minutes here past the hour. Brian Curtis and Doug Krisner. Let's take a look at the top business stories of the hour. The U.S. Justice Department has announced charges against several individuals for conducting a massive cryptocurrency fraud scheme. The scheme ran to just under $1.9 billion. In a statement today, the DOJ said the defendants falsely represented that investors would receive substantial returns paid from cryptocurrency mining operations. It said those returns did not exist. Well, today, the U.S. Treasury reduced its estimate for federal borrowing for the current quarter, despite a widening fiscal deficit here in the U.S. Treasury cut net borrowing. This is the estimate from the period January through March down to $760 billion. Here's the thing. The previous projection was $860 billion. That number we received in late October. The reduction was really not that expected by many primary dealers. So you had a move higher in bond prices, yields coming down. The 10-year Treasury was last quoted in New York at 4.07%. Brian. And we'll get a little bit more on this from Garfield Reynolds coming up, Bloomberg Chief Rates Correspondent for Asia. Well, Elon Musk says the first human patient has received a brain implant from his startup Neuralink. Musk said that the patient is recovering well and that initial results are promising. Neuralink's brain implant aims to help people with traumatic injuries operate computers using only their thoughts. The firm received FDA approval for the first human trials in May of last year. Doug? So we know China Evergrande has been ordered by a judge in Hong Kong to liquidate. Well, now what is sure to be a very complicated process begins. Evergrande is a massive enterprise across hundreds of cities, a number of businesses. Here is Bloomberg's Stephen Engel. Will that court order be followed in the mainland where there's a different legal system, obviously, which obviously takes direction essentially from the Communist Party? So if there's a dispersal of these assets, is it going to happen in China, right? Because essentially there's no precedence for a large company like this with a spaghetti bowl of different assets and liabilities and priorities and international bondholders and different kinds of creditors. Who's going to be left with you know, the, the lion's share. That is Bloomberg Stephen Engel talking about the spaghetti bowl. This company amassed more than $300 billion, $300 billion in debt during the property boom in China. Well, now Evergrande is valued valued at just $279 million, with an M, so 99% below its peak. This, as Stephen highlighted, this liquidation is going to be a key legal test for the courts in Hong Kong, where, and on the mainland, I should say as well, where most of Evergrande's assets reside. Brian? Well, you just wonder, Doug, whether or not the liquidator can get their hands on some of these assets that are uh, operated or on land that local governments uh, operate in. So it is going to be a fascinating story. We're not going to know the answer, but absolutely international investors, uh, investor confidence will, will be um, hinging a lot on this as we go forward. 
The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City. Cutter and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the U.S. Treasury reducing the estimate for federal borrowing for the current quarter. We're joined now by Garfield Reynolds, who's Bloomberg's chief rates correspondent for Asia. So, in a sense, it's a good thing, Garfield, because the Treasury said, look, you know, we've, we had higher than projected net fiscal flows. In other words, they just have more money on hand or at hand uh, than they expected. So from that standpoint, it's a good thing. But then it also raises some questions about the deficit and overall debt. Your thoughts on the announcement? Well, you know, the Treasury, the last couple of times they've made funding announcements have been very much you know, careful not to set off the sort of response they got in the middle of last year when they surprised to the upside. Back then, the assumption was that, you know, whatever you want to borrow, people will borrow it because what else are they going to do? It's treasuries. Uh, that didn't turn out to be the case because you know, yields spiked in September and October for a number of reasons, but that certainly didn't help. So, you know, they avoided boosting bond issuance last time round by increasing sales of bills. This time round, you know, they've they've managed to come up with some numbers through these better fiscal flows, through more cash on hand, so that they're they're going to borrow less than they had initially estimated estimated in the first quarter, and they're very much looking forward to next quarter as being a quarter where they will need to borrow even less. Uh, the one concern there is that if there are tax cuts enacted. Uh, you know that that could throw a spanner in in those works. So they they definitely are moving to a very careful management of this issue because of all the concern, uh, you know, the market turmoil that it helped to cause you know, late last year. One of the things that I find interesting is that you know the Treasury has been under pressure because of these rising yields in the market. So it's automatically forced to pay a higher coupon than it would have otherwise. It seems like when you're talking about uh, less money being needed on the part of tapping the market in the face of higher treasury yields, that, that that's also, I mean, uh, kind of a positive development, one would think. Yeah, you could also argue, in fact, that uh, it's a sort of prudent management technique if you're the anticipation is that the Fed will cut interest rates later on this year. Maybe not as much as the market is looking for, but they will cut interest rates. That means bond yields, all things being equal, should come down noticeably. So it does make a lot of sense to try and hold back on any borrowings until you get those lower rates coming through. That way you avoid those higher coupons that you were mentioning. 
But in a sense, it's the fiscal working against the Fed's objective uh, to a degree, because with the lower uh, bond yields, you had um, a tech stock spike, and that would seem to be uh, something that runs a little counter to what the Fed wants at, at the moment. Uh, however, you know, every department, every um, government agency does what it feels is best, and this is the way the system works. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the one of the interesting factors you know, with those tech and other stocks was the way that you know, they rose yesterday and so did bonds. And that continues this somewhat anomalous situation where bonds and stocks, the prices of bonds and stocks, are moving you know, fairly strongly correlated together. That doesn't usually happen outside of, what do you know, when rate cycles peak. And as you move towards... Uh, you know, a situation where the Fed would lower rates. The big question going forward is, you know, when this correlation phrase, which of the two asset classes is going to be worse off? Normally, it's been stocks because the Fed has ended up engendering a recession. This time around, if we do get the soft landing that the Fed and so many others are hopeful we will get, it might end up being bonds that don't do quite so well. Yeah, for the moment, I think we can agree that financial conditions have loosened a bit, given the price action that you just described. On Wednesday, we're going to get a more detailed plan at how the Treasury intends to distribute this borrowing across the curve. I mean, whether more is going to be done at the short end or more at the long end. Do you have a sense of what we may see on Wednesday? Well, I mean, we'll see. The, the market's expectation is very much that the Fed, no, sorry, that the Treasury will kind of follow through with what it indicated earlier in that, you know, it was expecting to increase the sizes of its auctions for longer term debt, not, you know, dip too much into the well of, uh, of short term debt, of bills. So they, there is an expectation that they will increase those, but that this will kind of be like the last hurrah, that they won't want to increase those again going forward, especially because they're, they're looking like they're given the impression that the, the big funding uh, you know, jobs are, are to some extent behind them. We're, we're getting back to a more normal setup where in the second quarter, for example, there'll be a relatively small uh, you know, borrowing requirement because that's when tax receipts come in. And we'll see how that goes. After all, we came into this announcement expecting they would increase the estimated borrowing uh, that they would be doing this quarter, and we got a lower uh, you know, estimate. So maybe that same sort of thing will happen with the auction sizes, but the market is very much set up for an increase in the auction sizes. As we know, cash is fungible, even from China. Chinese money is finding its way into U.S. assets for sure. Uh, and we did have this Evergrande liquidation call yesterday from High Court judge here. And we understand that state lenders have been ramping up dollar sales to kind of offset the negative impact from that. And so today we have the 10-year government, uh, Chinese government bond yield down, uh, and it's at the lowest level since 2002. Uh, does all of this suggest that investors are just really screaming for more action from the PBOC? Well, it's partly that. It's partly also the acknowledgement that the, you know, the Chinese economy remains, you, you know, deep, deeply troubled. And, and part of the part of the reason for that is that with the fact that they've got a managed currency, with the fact that they've got this particular sort of government that they have over there, there's a reluctance to do the sort of you know, large uh, actions that the Fed you know, ha has done uh, for for the U.S. economy. Yeah, you would think 
when you've got a real estate sector that is in deep, deep trouble, your Evergrande is just the poster child for that, that you would be looking at you know, some sort of major bailout programs, uh, you know, big rate cuts, maybe even you know, quantitative easing. That's what happened back in 2008. But that's not the sort of thing that China can do. And uh, it's been trying to turn a stock market around, but the problem is that something like Evergrande just your ways on sentiment and raises a concern that ordinary Chinese who have normally looked at real estate as being a great way to save money, that's where you put your nest egg, is by investing in real estate, that that's no longer where you want to put your money. And in fact, that's you know, you, if you do have money in there, you might want to pull that out again. So you can see that that sentiment uh, indicator you know, for, for China is, is pretty gloomy. Yeah, not to mention the fact that when you look at the way in which foreign investors have been behaving in terms of the Chinese markets, this obviously may dent uh, confidence even further at a time when China has been clamoring for more uh, foreign direct investment. Garfield, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Bloomberg's Garfield Reynolds helping us understand what we've been talking about in terms of uh, the U.S. Treasury today. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.